Uh, I'm Darren, one of the pastors here as well. My wife has been out of town for a week. And um, it was actually a really good thing for her. She's, uh, she does a lot. And in fact, if you're wondering what she does, the list that she gave to Carol Weaver this morning, Carol, I don't know if you're in here, but Carol Weaver stepped up to, to fill in for Shannon this morning. The list was like four and a half pages long and not like large font either of the checklist of the stuff that she's doing. And so we... Uh, graciously offered, a family offered for uh, her to stay at, at their beach house in Florida. And so that's, she drove down there Tuesday, uh, I think just in time for what would be the first water spout that would come on shore in Destin. And I believe there was a second one on Friday. She, uh, she's uh, been in the middle of thunderstorms and rain all week. But she said this morning, though, that it's been great because uh, it's exactly what she needed because otherwise she'd have been distracted going to the mall and but this time she's literally at home hadn't even turned the TV on just her and Jesus and a lot of rain uh, and the upside is that she comes back uh, tomorrow so uh, we'll be cleaning the house tonight <laughs> it's funny because I hit um if you're wondering why does Darren look so colorful this morning um it hit me yesterday, like, where are all my clothes? Like, I have nothing to wear. And, and then I realized, oh, that was the smell coming out of the closet was the laundry. And so you could do one of two things in that situation. One is do laundry. The other is to go to Kohl's. And so <laughs> in fairness, I did do laundry. I just didn't think it was going to be done in time for this. So I, I did go by Kohl's and, you know, eleven ninety nine. you know, very, very festive this morning. Very, would you go uh, to the book of Revelation with me this morning? Pretty sure I got the tag off. If you see a tag on this thing, would you give me a heads up on that? Because it just occurs to me, that's one of the things that my wife normally does for me, is the, there's a tag, you dummy. Revelation chapter five. Uh, if you've been around a little bit, you know that we have been taking the scenic route through Revelation. And... It's funny to me that so many in our society avoid Revelation because it's a hard book to understand. I don't know if you've, maybe you've heard that, or I don't know, I've heard of like pastor buddies that have actually said, oh, I can't believe you're trying to tackle that book. That's a, that's a controversial book. But there's this idea, this lie that I think that, I think it's a lie, that it's, that it's hard and that it's complicated. I think that the reason that that is the case is there's 66 books in the Bible, 40 different authors. Only one of them promises a blessing to those who would read, hear, and keep it, and it's the book of Revelation. Our society, the word apocalypse is, uh, has come to, uh, with the creepy movies with Marlon Brando, and, uh, and in fact, if you've been to the movies lately, pretty much what we know about our society is we are obsessed with aliens destroying the world over and over and over and over again. But apocalypse is the meaning we would give it would be end of the world, but the word revelation is the word apocalypsis, which is actually just means unveiling. That was the original idea behind the word. The, this is the revelation of Jesus. You're, if you've got a King James Bible, it actually might say the revelation of St. John, the divine, but that's not accurate. It actually says it's the revelation of Jesus. And it's him basically saying, hey, this is what's going on. There's actually no new ideas at all in Revelation. There's 480 different allusions that are all from the Old Testament, all woven together 
into one book. And it's basically him saying to those in that day and to us in this day, this is what it all meant. This is, and if you don't have any understanding of what was going on in the Old Testament, if you've never read or spent any time in there, this might seem a little strange to you. But what he did was, Jesus says to John, hey, this is what was going on. And it's not hard at all. If, if you follow the divine outline that, that he gives us, which is in chapter one, verse 18, he tells him to write those things which you have seen. And to write those things which are, and those things which are to come. That's what he tells him. It's in chapter one, verse 18. And the book follows that exact outline, straight front to back. Chapter one is what he had seen, which what he had seen in chapter one is Jesus. If you were alive in that day and you were being carried off and tortured under Caesar Nero, if you're alive today and you're in Iran, if you're in the United States, and you wonder what is going on? Why is good seem to be evil and evil seem to be good, the whole world is upside down. Where is Jesus in all of this? The last time John had seen Jesus was flying off like Superman, and now he sees him again in this glorified form, right? Those things which you have seen, and then he says, write those things which are, and in chapters two and three, we see those seven letters to seven churches. It's, it's a picture not only of letters to those churches, but a picture of the seven epics of church history. It is what is going on right now. From the beginning until where we are, until I believe that the soon return of Christ is where that chapter two and three is. Write those things which you've seen, Jesus. Write those things which are the church, the church age, the time we're in right now. And write those things which are to come. And in the Greek, it's the word metatauta. You remember this? And in metatauta in chapter four, in verse five, chapter four, verse one, starts with, after these things, metatauta. Starting right now is the future. He's saying, right, those things which are to come, chapters four and in five, and in chapters four and five, we've just spent, well, an inordinate amount of time there, but it's heaven. It's a time where it says that we're going to be carried away, I believe, and we're gonna to get to that why I believe that that doctrine of the Jesus coming and carrying away the church is accurate and it's real. And this chapter four and five is a picture of that which is to come, the, the, the rapture, the, the church being carried away. And, and meanwhile, back on earth, chapter six through nine is the description of what is a, uh, called, we call the great tribulation period. It's a time that the Bible calls of Jacob's wrath, uh, Jacob's trouble. It's a time where God's wrath is poured out on a Christ-rejecting and sinful world and remember, it's not about just God coming down to open up a can of, of whoop God. It's, it's about him saying he's gonna wake up the nation of, of Israel. Those, the, the, the Israelis that have been blinded, his people that he's chosen, he's gonna wake them up. It's gonna be for us as well, that, that are uh, humans, I should say, but that if you've been left behind in this and, and you can't find Kirk Cameron running around, then what you know is that this is a time where great amounts of people are going to come to Christ during this time as the world is shaken as it's never been shaken before. And it also is to prepare the kingdom that is to come. And in chapter 20, we see that that time of a thousand years here on earth, the millennial kingdom, peace, prosperity, 
And during that time, Satan is tied up, bound up, and for a thousand years, says that we'll rule and reign in earth. That Jesus will be here, he will set up a literal kingdom with a literal place of central location in Jerusalem to rule and reign for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years in chapter 21, Satan is loosed for just a short period of time. And I believe that the reason is, is that during that period of a thousand years, there's gonna be a lot of babies born, a lot of people growing up, a lot of people that have yet to have to choose. And they get a chance to choose, and unbelievably, some of them won't. They won't choose Jesus. And it sounds unbelievable in the future, but yet today, I don't understand it either. Why does anybody not choose life, choose it life more abundantly and freedom and peace? I don't know why they don't, but they, but they don't. And in the future, they won't. And at the end of that, in chapter 21, at the end of that, Satan is finally bound up, thrown into a lake of fire forever. And you and I live happily ever after. <laughs> or as they say in Unduck Dynasty, we are happy, happy, happy for a thousand years for, for eternity. Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Not if you follow the divine outline that he's given, the way that he's laid it out. It's, it gets weird and hard when we start trying to cook it up to fit some theology that I've got, and then I try to retrofit it on there. If I just take it for what it says, it's perfectly clear. It's not hard. And in chapter five, where we find ourselves, we're in heaven. And we went there last week, and if you weren't here, you can certainly get the podcast. We don't have time, clearly, after I just did that, to review last week. But where we find ourselves is in heaven, where the elders have thrown down their crowns. And, and I was really intrigued as I, as I watched this week, and I read this, because it says in verse 8, that when he had taken the scroll, that the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each of them were holding a harp and golden bowls of cornflakes, no incense, I'm sorry, that was the wrong translation, which are the prayers of the saints. To set the scene, Jesus has just been revealed as the one that can set everything right again in the universe. The guy that was slain before the foundation of the world and they are ecstatic and they've fallen down to worship him but I'm intrigued because each one of them was holding a harp. There's nothing Jesus talks about the word over and over again, and, but there's not one jot or tittle in this thing that is there by accident, so it, it makes me wonder, why, would, why a harp? You know, why not the kitar? I mean, I actually know why it was no kitar, but why not, why a harp? Why would that be the instrument? And I, I've really chewed on this a lot this week, and I was intrigued because the harp that they had wasn't like a multi-octave thing, it was just 10 strings. Josephus, several other historians, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but it talks about it in history that if you were a Levitical priest, that what you used was a, a harp that only had 10 strings, which was one octave, and that's what they carried into uh, for their priestly duties. And I was intrigued by that because 10 is a number that, I don't know if it evokes anything to your mind, but it evokes to mind 10 commandments, the law. 10 was a number that in the Bible actually was as of, uh, not of perfection, but of 
like a complete unit of this is totality of, of something. And when you think about it, 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, 10, once you get to 10, you start over to a new number. It, it sort of gives a complete and succinct picture of something. And 10, I believe, is no accident that there would be 10 strings on a harp. 10 commandments is the book of Psalms, right, that says that the law of the Lord, you don't have to turn there, 19.7, is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And it goes on. Talk about the law of the Lord. I think that's important because in our world, we've raised, we are raising, continuing to raise a generation of biblically illiterate men and women. This thing that started about two decades ago was this idea that on Sundays, if I could just get you in here and deliver this message that was uh, like cotton candy, that Sundays would become about, well, then that's when I'm going to reach people. And then we would do discipleship on another day of the week. Well, what ends up happening, it's like a bait and switch that never switched. So we've been living on bait for 10, 15, 20 years. So much so that I had a conversation just last week with somebody and we were kind of you know, going back and forth and she told me that I, you know, I, I used to be like you and I feel sorry for you because the Bible, I get it. If you take the Bible literally, then I get why you would think that, but you know, and she went on and on about, and she didn't understand, didn't understand the Bible at all. I asked her a question of, oh, what was the picture in the Old Testament that God used of his relationship with us? She didn't know. She didn't know the picture in the New Testament, which of course is a bride of a wife and a husband and wife in this picture that he's given us. And these very simple things, we have young men and women. I used to manage uh, Christian rock bands. That's why I have gray hair and walk with a limp. No, the, uh, these young men and women that are great, and, and I'm pretty confident that nobody in here is what I'm about to say actually qualifies for what I'm about to say. But there were moments early on in my career where I would have a guy say, oh, you want, I want them to do an altar call when they get here. I'm like, mm, no, nah, not this one, you don't. You'd rather them just shut up and sing. Because they didn't know the scriptures. For the last 10 years, I was super blessed to be able to work with young men and women once I was able to make decisions on my own who, who knew the scriptures and who, who I was like, ecstatic to be able to let them preach the gospel because they knew the gospel. But that isn't always the case, and if anything, it's the exception and not the rule because the Bible has become cursory to what we're doing. The, the law of the Lord, which is what he talks about in Psalm, was was perfect. We might say, well, I'm not under the law anymore. The law is no good. The law is all the law. We speak of it in a negative connotation, not understanding the negative part of it. The negative part is this. It it doesn't save me. It doesn't purchase my salvation. It doesn't accomplish my eternal security with him. The Bible, the law, the Ten Commandments does not accomplish that. But when I hear somebody say, oh, it's just the law, I'm, I'm not under the law anymore, it's like, well, which one didn't you like? Was it the don't kill your neighbor one? Or the, the false witness, is that the one that's rubbing you wrong? It's not bad in that it, these are good ways to live. This, this quest that the Ten Commandments cannot be in a courthouse somewhere in America is completely fascinating to me. Because, I mean, which one did we not, the, the adultery one, was that too much? We, we, that one? The, the law of the Lord is perfect. Right down to, and if, if you want to, you can turn with me, you don't have to. Everything about it was thought out. 
everything. Deuteronomy 23, he says to them, you shall have a trowel. I think the King James is a paddle. If you've been to school lately, this is what we refer to as the potty paddle. I think that's where this comes from. You shall dig a hole and turn, when you go outside and you sit, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. That's in the Bible. And you know why that's in the Bible? Because up until this point, that was a completely foreign concept. They were made fun of by other nations. Why would you do that? Because God, and interesting enough, he didn't clarify why. But what we know now is the diseases, the sanitation that is required. He was giving them, there's a book out there, if you ever get a chance to read it, I cannot remember the author, but it's called None of These Diseases. And it talks about Israel and how all the nations around them were suffering from different diseases and, and maladies. And now Israel was not because of the things that they were doing, the laws that he had given them protected them from them. Why not eat shellfish? Well, if you don't have a refrigerator, that's a problem. That'll wrestle your colon to the ground. <laughs> he didn't explain it that way, but he said, don't. The law of the Lord is perfect. In Haiti, my, my, some of my best friends in the world live there. And there's this question that is asked, that I have asked, how on God's green earth did this happen? You can look on a Google map and see the difference between the Dominican side of the island and the Haitian side of the island. They're the same island, but on the Dominican, it's green and it's lush, and on the Haitian side, you can strike a match on the Google image. It's so dry and arid. It's been stripped bare. And they've said that Haiti was the first nation that was born of former slaves. That's not true. Israel was. Israel were slaves for 400 years before they became free, before they overthrew their oppressors. And what did God do? The first thing he did was he parks them in the desert and says, hey, don't kill your neighbor. Don't lie. Don't steal. Because those are things that are not inherently human. Human is to steal and to lie and to cheat and to get ahead. God said, hey, that's, that's going to be your instinct. Don't do that. And then he would talk about the land. Hey, every six years, let it breathe for a year. Haitians didn't have that. It's not their fault. They didn't know. So they sustenance farmed and they stripped the thing bare. They didn't know. There's a reason why the law of the Lord is perfect because he covered everything. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, if you'll just follow these things, your life's going to go better. They have that harp with 10 strings and I believe that just speaks of the law of the Lord, the Bible, the word of God. They're laying down, they've got that in one hand and in the other hand they've got that bowl. And the question of course is what's in the bowl? We don't have to extrapolate like with the harp because he tells us. He tells us in the bowl was the prayers of the saints. There's three things and there might be more. There's three that I could think of this week as I was praying this through and if you know more, well great, <laughs> you can maybe text that to me. But I could find three things in the Bible that we, that are on earth that we will take with us or that are in heaven. One of them, the psalmist tells us in uh, Psalm 53 or 56, this is why I should use notes. Psalm 56-ish, I think it might be 53, 53-6 <laughs> maybe, that our tears are held in a bottle in heaven. Now, I don't know if that's literal or not. 
But he says that he knows every sorrow that we've ever had. Every tear that you've ever cried, he knows about it, and he holds it in a bottle in heaven. I wonder, I don't know that this is true, but when he talks about a day when he'll wipe away all the tears, I wonder if it'll be a time when he's just not only taking your tears and wiping them, but dumping out the tears, saying, "Those, it's gone now, it's over. It's a new time, a new place. The Boston Tear Party, just dumping over barrels of tears. Somebody should write that down, that was good. <laughs> Our tears will be there. I think that the souls, those that we have shared Christ with, those who have, we've brought into the kingdom with us, that those souls will be with us in heaven, that they're there. Some of them are going on ahead of us. Some of them will meet us there later, but those will be there. And the third one, interestingly enough, I think is right here, and it answers some questions for me, and I think it might answer some questions. Uh, I know it answered questions for John's, John the pastor, writing to these people asking, why is this happening? I've been praying for this to change, and it hasn't changed. What's going on? I believe this answers their question, and it might answer if you've been in a position lately where you've been saying, hey, I don't know why. I've been praying forever for this, and it hasn't. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. I think this answers a question for us. So follow me on this, okay? There's a bowl in heaven full of incense that is the prayers of the saints. It says, interestingly, that I believe it's, uh, no, you know what I know it is because I found it earlier. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is our great high priest, but it says this, that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you. In the high priestly role that he is in, if you haven't heard anything I've said today, that's cool. Dial in for just a second, and then you can go back to sleep or whatever, but I, just, I feel like this is like such a grand truth for me that it might be for you as well. The, the high priest would walk in. You've seen the, the picture, maybe the priest with the little, the, the little thing with the, the, the incense that comes out of it. It wasn't like in a studio where, what's that stuff that they burn in the studio that smells the same? Those little sticks, like little punks, but they... Incense, whatever. There's a word for it, though, that if I had it, and you know what, if my wife were here, I'd have it. That's what would happen. My wife would be here, and I'd be like, oh, I just totally know it, because she completes me. Um, (laughs) But that incense was prayer that was offered on the altar. And I love this truth, because if Jesus is praying for me, and I'm praying, it's almost like the picture of my prayers are a little selfish, they're a little carnal, they can be quite uh, out of line, they could be inaccurate. I've even gone so far in my mind because I get myself kind of twisted up sometimes thinking, well why, does even, why should I even pray? Because I don't even know what to say. I believe this is a picture of Jesus saying, he's taking our prayers and sweetening them up a little bit. He's taking my stinky prayers and spraying them with Febreze and throwing them before the throne. Sweetening of, hey, God, I know this is what Darren says he wants, but that's really dumb. Here's what he really means. Here's what is best for him. And man, what kind of peace can you have when you know that I can come before the throne of grace boldly, we talked about last week, and I can pray honestly, and I've got Jesus, an intercessor, who is saying, 
Hey, that's great. I appreciate Darren's enthusiasm. Here's what he really means. I know he's mad right now, but I'm, here's what he means, Father. He is sweetening up my stinky prayers. And that picture unfolds here of prayer, and this is the question that you might have asked, but in Revelation 6, if you're in Revelation still, maybe turn over the next page or if it's on the same. The prayer that they were praying, the prayer that John's people in his church would, had to have been asking is, why? What is going on? My family has been kidnapped, I'm in hiding, my grandma was burned alive, and John, of all people, you've been boiled in oil like a tater tot and thrown on Patmos, what's happening? And I know this because look what they say here in verse nine of chapter six, it says that when he opens the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, remember where prayers go, on the altar, the incense, under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the witness they had borne. And look in verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? Maybe that's your prayer this morning. How long do I gotta put up with this? I've been going around this over and over and over again, and nothing is changing. I don't even know why I'm praying. How long, God? And then in verse one of chapter eight, just flip over there with me. It says that when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now there are some theologians who say that they know that there are no women in heaven uh, because of that. Now I don't, I don't believe that uh, at all. Like I don't think that, but that's, you know, some commentators would say that. Um, Was it Buzz Aldrin, I believe, that talked about that uh, the average, uh, I guess, so the statistic is that the average woman talks about 40,000 words a day, is that right? Or 70,000, and the average man is like 20, it's like ridiculously lower, and he mentions it, and the problem is, is that I use all of my 20,000 while I'm at work, and she waits till four o'clock when I get home for her 70,000, and so, I'm just saying, that's what some theologians say, I don't believe that. And then I saw the seven angels stand before God. There's a hush in heaven, a quieting, a silence in heaven. And there were actually, I mean, honestly, truthfully, theologians who were like, they make this sort of complicated and tricky. And I don't think, if you look at the context of it, I don't think it's as hard as everybody's made this out to be. What caused the silence in heaven? I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood with the altar with a golden censer. Remember what is censor's prayer, the incense kept in this bowl before the throne, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Here's what I think is happening. There's a lot of stuff, remember, a lot of stuff going on. Elders, holy, 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 the harps, the fall and the thing, and he's like, shh. Tim's praying. I wanna hear what he has to say. there's another prayer being offered. In chapter four, there's a prayer that was being offered and it's being carried before the throne in intercession. In chapter six, that prayer again, these saints saying, how long, O Lord? And then in chapter eight, verse one, he's like, shh. The prayer is being prayed right now and I wanna hear what he has to say. God is listening to your prayers. 
Why is it that it seems like it hasn't been answered or that nothing is happening? And here's why, I believe. Every prayer that I pray that feels like it's hit the ceiling is not hitting a ceiling, it's going into a bowl, a golden bowl that's held before the throne. I pray some more today, and that bowl is a little more full. And I pray another time, and I continue to pray, and at some point, that bowl is full. And at that point, look what happens in chapter 8, in verse 4, and the smoke and the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel, and then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth with peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. When it was time, God answered the prayer. Their question was, when God, how long before? That's a prayer being prayed in Sudan today, in Somalia, in Burkina Faso, in Mali. How long, O oh Lord? It's a prayer being prayed maybe even this morning as a, a job situation or a relationship. How long, God, before this changes? How long do I have to put up with this? And I believe the answer is when that bowl is full. And why would it be that way? Why not give it on the first time? You know why, I think? Because it keeps me going back to the altar keeps me in relationship with Jesus. See, if it were up to me, I'd figure it out and fix it. It wouldn't be good. It'd be like some of my uh, redneck engineering I do with duct tape, and it'll do for a while, and then it falls back apart again because it's my engineering, my deal, but when the Father who just wants a relationship with you, it keeps me going back home to him, to the altar. Not because he's mean or cruel, because he loves me and he wants me there. And then meanwhile, even if I'm praying wrong, even if I'm just really ticked off and just, God, man, just strike him dead right now. Jesus is up there, so, okay, <laughs> that's really cute, God, but that's not what he means. When I don't know how to pray, it says the, the spirit prays on my behalf, Romans 8. He's praying for us. Our job for prayer is not to change the circumstances around me, but to change me. There were seven trumpets here, and it evoked a memory in me, and I thought, oh, Joshua 6. The people of Israel were marching around the walls of Jericho. God told them to march around once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, they would march around it seven times. That was a long week. <laughs> Walking around the walls of Jericho is a big city. has a long walk with a lot of people. And nothing changed on day one. And tomorrow they did it again. And the next day they did it again. And maybe they felt like what I feel like sometimes I'm just going in circles. And God has just given me the runaround. But he walked around again. And again. And then just for fun, well, on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. It's hot. It's the desert. For crying out loud, have you been to the desert? It's hot. 
arid, it's humid, like you're walking around somebody's mouth for seven days. But that seventh time, those seven trumpets blasted and the walls came down and did something they couldn't have done on their own. Why did God make them walk around it that many times? I believe every time was a reminder, hey, you, you, know, you can't do this on your own. You, you think you can, but you can't. And that's true of all of us. And it isn't because I, I'm uh, an idiot. or it's, I, it's just bigger than me. And when I, <laughs> when I fall is when I think, no, I got this one. Uh, four years ago, I was meeting with a, with a pastor, a uh, friend of mine here, and he was he's sort of like a theology Nazi, and I was kind of like, eh, I don't really like this guy. But the thing that he challenged me on that I will, I'll never forget at all, because uh, it was so powerful to me, he was like, you know, Darren, you... The thing you've got to remember is that since you're an entrepreneurial guy, you're a figure-it-out kind of guy, your tendency is going to be to try to just figure it out all the time. Fix it. Solve it. Figure it out. And you're not going to pray. I want to challenge you to not do that. To before you do something, to pray. And I've never forgotten those words. Now, I've not done it very good. Don't get me wrong. There are definitely times we have uh, leapt before we looked. Or simultaneously, <laughs> we're leaping and looking, going, oh, wow, that sucks, that's gonna be a long fall. But the Lord cushions our fall, that Jesus makes intercession for us, but the point being that prayer was what I, if I'm being honest, is probably my weakest link in my armor. I, I, you know, when I was a kid, I had the ADD, you know what I'm talking about? And, but that was back before they diagnosed it and, and medicated us, so they just stuck us in a corner in that point and, and said you were dumb. So, but I just, I could never, I remember in prayer, I would like try to focus. Okay, I'm gonna focus now. Okay, just, 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 and then the next thing I know, I'm thinking about the pool and, you know, this or that. And it was like, I just couldn't focus and, and the, <laughs> and so I just, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to sit still. My dad told me at Thanksgiving about 10 years ago, you know what your problem is, son? You're too darn jumpy. I'm like, well, thanks, dad. That clears it up. But it's true, because I'm always like moving around, I can't sit still, I can't, you know. But even if I'm not praying right, even if my mind is racing and I'm not, I've got a, I've got a loving Jesus making intercession for me, so do you. And someday, at some point, when the time is right, when the bowl is full, and you might say, but Darren, this, uh, I never got this. And some, you know what? Hey, no is just as much of an answer as yes is. There are things that we pray that God doesn't want us to have because it's actually harmful for us. When he says he'll withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly, that doesn't mean we get everything we want. It just means if I haven't gotten it, then that wasn't good for me. That's part of the intercession that Jesus makes on my behalf. But there are things that when I do pray, that he'll give them to me. I wonder, I don't know that this is true, but you know, the prayer of agreement, when we're praying in agreement on something, where two or three are gathered and you're asking anything, maybe it's because the bowl fills faster. I don't know, or maybe it's just because, I mean, I got four kids, if they agree on anything together, they all four come together and they all wanna watch the same movie, done. That's like the easiest day of the week for me. They agreed on something? Yes, let's get in the car and go there. You all wanna do the same thing? You agree on it? Maybe it's that, that it just makes God happy, but I wonder if it's because the bowl feels faster when we pray together and we're agreeing on something. I don't know that, but I wonder. 
What I do know is this, is there's not a prayer that you have prayed that has not been kept in a bowl in heaven with incense before the throne that our Father is waiting for the right time for that moment to dump the bowl over and to throw to earth the answer. You might remember the story. It was been a long time since he'd probably prayed the prayer. And an angel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a son, and he laughed. I'm not talking about Abraham, I'm talking about Zacharias. He said, but my wife is old and she's barren. I'm old, it's, I haven't, what prayer, you're, I haven't prayed that prayer in forever. You're gonna have a son, and he didn't even believe it, so the angel just made him mute <laughs> until the baby was born. And it was from that that John the Baptist would come. Because Zacharias and his wife had prayed. And they probably prayed a lot. And maybe over the years as they stopped praying that, and they moved on to other things because they'd given up. Jesus, with the Holy Spirit at that point, I don't know, was still saying, no, no, this is, this is what he means, God. This is the time and it's gonna come and it's gonna be amazing. And that's what happened to Zacharias as John the Baptist was born on a prayer he hadn't prayed in forever. If there's anything you can know today is that your prayers are not lost. They're not hitting the ceiling, they're just being held on the altar, waiting. And I wonder today how many of us are just one prayer away from the bowl being full? How many of us have quit (laughs) praying at all? And you've got a bowl that's three quarters full How many of you are two prayers away or 200, 450? I don't know. But maybe it's a day to start praying again. And as you march around this situation one more time, it's a reminder that these walls are too tall, they're too thick, it's too hard, I can't do it. That's what I love, what uh, what Cortland shared last week about faith, sort of like connected a dot for me, a synapse fired. Faith is just, I'm just submitting, saying, oh, I, I don't understand. It's, in the past I've said that it's like, faith is like the bridge between my understanding and God's understanding, between my circumstance and God's understanding of my circumstance, that I don't understand it, and faith isn't something like a magic potion that I put in action to get it. It's me submitting, it's a position, it's a posture to say, I don't know. I have no idea, but I know that God is good. I know that Jesus, any God that would become man, that would do what he did for me, that would die the way that he died, took what he took for me, for me individually, for you individually, he's good. We know that. And faith would say, I don't understand why this is not happening right now, but I'm gonna march around this city one more time out of obedience. I'm gonna get a good, hard, and long look at this situation. And I'm gonna take it right back to the throne of grace and say, how long, God? How long? Maybe that's something we could take with us today. Maybe some things you stopped praying about that you can put back up on the altar. Oh, Jesus has continued to pray for you. He hadn't stopped. Forever makes intercession for us. He knows you better than you do. But our part in it is to pray, to ask, 
The Bible would tell us that you have not because you ask not. In another passage, it would say you have not because you ask amiss. I don't think that it's because you didn't ask. I used to think this, that it was because I didn't have enough faith. Man, baloney. If faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain, it is not about the quantity at that point. <laughs> Asking amiss may be that I've just asked the wrong thing. I, that's not what he wanted me to have. So I didn't get that. I mean, think about it. You're all, if you've raised children, how many of your ch- kids get everything they want? And how's that working out for you if the answer is yes? They don't always get everything they want or when they want it. I don't always get everything I want and when I want it because it's not good for me to get it that way. But I get what is good for me. And he says if your heavenly father, if your earthly father knows how to give you good gifts, how much more would your heavenly father? You know what I love about that? In one of the passages, it says he'll give all things to them. Ask in another, the parallel passage, he says, and how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit unto every, all of you who would ask? See, Jesus is the prize. Everything else is ancillary. As I'm walking around that asking, I'm getting the Holy Spirit. I'm getting Jesus. I'm getting the real prize. The real prize is I get to live in the, <laughs> in the house of the Lord forever. Everything else is ancillary. I didn't marry Shannon because she's smoking hot. She is, incidentally. That's just a benefit. Because I love her. I love who she is, what she does, and how she is. And that's the, the, the prize was Shannon. Not what she could do, but her. Jesus is the prize. That incense today, is we're, we're going to worship for a little bit more here, and I would encourage you today to, to, to go for the prize, to, to say that, if you've stopped praying, if you've been, or if you've been frustrated in your prayers, to just realize that I, I'm not, they're not hitting the ceiling and bouncing off. I'm not just being run in circles because God is mean. There's something going on here bigger than what I understand, and I can just, like the people of Israel, march around it one more day, praising and praying one more day. I can take the harp, the word of God, reading my Bible every day. Being a Christian is really not that hard. Read your Bible and pray every day. The the law of the Lord is perfect. I go to it not as an academic exercise, but a spiritual encounter. The harp, the word, the law of the Lord, his words are a lamp for me, a light, and the altar, the incense, my prayers that are being held for just the right time at just the right moment for the answer from the Lord that is perfect. Go to the throne today. I I truly believe that one of the best prayers we can pray is pray the word. What what are the promises? Go to Ephesians. I can't remember where it was, but I remember with Mike and Anita, we were talking about that, that those prayers in Ephesians are just amazing. Chapters one and two, those, those things that Paul prayed. Pray the word. If you don't know what else to pray, just pray that. That's perfect. Or if you're hurt and you're sad and you're alone, pray that. God, I'm scared. I'm I'm terrified. I'm alone. I have no idea how I'm going to make the the rent this month. Pray that. And Jesus up at the throne, sweetening it up. Just a little bit longer. Hold on. Just a little bit more. The incense, the bowl's almost full. Hold on. Pray it again. Come back to me. I really believe that some of us are really just one or two away from the bowl being full. 
Some of you are a lot further than that. You might think, how can I possibly, it's, oh, it's so far. You ever heard that, you know, whatever, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. That is so true with the Father. It's not about the destination, it's the journey that we're on with Him. That intimacy that you can experience with Him at the throne. And the reality check of, ah, I didn't have this anyway. It was all His. Lord, would you, um, would you speak to us this morning? Maybe give some of us a picture of where our bowl is in the process of the incense that we can bring to you this morning as we pray to you. God, would you make us a praying church? We don't get caught up in the academic and the cleverness and the figuring it out but that we could be caught up in your presence in prayer. Bring prayer warriors among us. Those with that special anointing, that special mantle, the ones that I used to want to be. (laughs) Would you bring those to us as well, that we would pray? And then for those of us, for me, that don't think that I'm a prayer warrior or an intercessor, that don't let that stop me but to drive me back to my knees again for the relationship for the intimacy of my relationship with you you know when the bowl is full you know how big the bowl is whatever circumstance it is that the bowl is sized accordingly and and I'll just submit to that as a posture of faith not to get it done, but to get to you. I really believe that uh, some of us this morning need to be praying in here. And if you need to go over to a corner or a back section over here, or, uh, the, the elements of communion are all available every Sunday for us. Maybe you pray there. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. There's, there's room around here. As, as Mo and the, the, the team is, is leading us, maybe you can go and be with the Father this morning in intimacy with Him praying and whatever He puts on your heart, but to connect with the Father. As we worship, just feel free to move around and do that. And, and just let the Lord move and speak through you this morning.